Tennessee Wildcast is live on the air with the latest on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things outdoors. Make welcome your host, drummer and outdoor expert novice, Jason Harmon. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. I'm Jason Harmon, and this is your source for all the latest information in Tennessee Outdoor News. Uh, We're glad y'all are tuning in. And we have Miss Mimi Barnes with us today. She's our Region 3 Information Coordinator. And uh, Mr. Uh, Chris Simpson, he's our uh, Wildlife Diversity Coordinator for Region 3. <laughs> hey, glad to be here. Glad y'all are here. Excited to be on location again here at the Hiawassee Refuge. It's a beautiful, beautiful place to be and in my home county of Meigs County, which is pretty cool. Uh, and uh, got some sandhill cranes flying around behind us. Which I know. Is awesome to watch. It, it's a really cool place to visit. I'm glad we're here. So, Absolutely. Today we're going to be talking about uh, all things wildlife, and we've got Mr. Chris with us, and then later we're going to have Kenny and Jeff. Uh, they're both technicians here at the Hiawassee Refuge. They're going to come on and talk to us for a little bit. So, great show for you today. And uh, first, we'll just get started uh, and learn a little bit about Chris. So. Yeah, you know, Chris. Um, I say this every time I'm on the show with Jason and we have our coworkers on, but people constantly contact us and say, how can I get your job or what's your background or I'm starting out in school, what should I study? Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about you, tell us your background, uh, tell us a little bit about your education and then we want to hear about your job. All right. Well, a little bit about me is I was born in Clarksville, Tennessee and then moved to Nashville, grew up in Hermitage on the east side of Nashville, grew up hunting and fishing all over Middle Tennessee and uh, Southern Kentucky and and I uh, did a lot of hunting uh, as a teenager and in my in college, uh, specifically waterfowl hunting, and which was great for this job, and and which makes this place we're located today one of my favorite places in Region Three. If you like waterfowl or want to see sandhill cranes or or even bald eagles, this is the place to be. And so I, I started college at Middle Tennessee State in Murfreesboro, and then finished up my uh, college at Tennessee Tech in Cookville in wildlife and fisheries science. And as far as my job, this is the Region 3 Wildlife Diversity Coordinator. That's a mouthful. But uh, typically, uh, you might think of it as the Endangered Species Coordinator, uh, working on uh, all types of uh, projects and involving species of greatest conservation need, which includes uh, federally threatened and endangered species, state threatened and endangered species, and even just common just uh, species in need of management, mm-hmm. in which we're trying to keep species uh, off the endangered species list. So... so it's a detailed job, and I know that my cubicle's next to Chris, so I hear his phone calls and, and see the work ethic that he has, and like all of our coworkers, it's amazing. But that's not where you started with the agency. No, in <laughs> fact, uh, that's exactly right. A lot I, of folks I, move around. Yeah. Yes. Uh, when I was in college, I, I volunteered with the fisheries crew, and the fact that that helped me get a job. I started in 1993 in the streams crew in Region 3, in the cold water streams, warm water streams, and uh, uh, stocking trout, working with farm ponds and community lakes, and uh, we did a lot of stream surveys where we went through and inventoried the, the species or the species diversity in those streams and helped me really get a, a jump start for this career that I'm in now. Yeah. 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 That's uh, most people get a job here. They might start start off in one position and they work their way around or mm-hmm. into what they truly uh, enjoy. Yeah. And uh, are you there? <laughs> I'm there. I'm there. This is great. I, I mean, I, I, this is, is fun. It's fun to go to work, so I'm truly blessed. I think most people work for the agency say it's fun to go to work. I mean, it, they, they enjoy what they do. It's true. Uh, it, it can be hard sometimes, and sometimes it's more fun than it is, you know, work sometimes. Absolutely. But, uh, but it's a great place to work. Great. So, uh, so Chris, you know, we recently had David um, 
Haney on the show and we talked about golden eagles and bald eagles with him, but I know you have a little bit of background yeah, there, spe- specifically here on the Hiawassee Refuge and in this area. Yeah. Uh, let's start off talking a little bit with you about bald eagles. Bald Which eagles. we just saw a few. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they've been flying around behind us all morning long, so it's a great place to come see them if you've never seen one. But uh, some of the early work that was done when the uh, bald eagles were at their lowest numbers, the state developed a hacking program and a reintroduction program and partnered with the American Eagle Foundation and others. But one of my predecessors, Bruce Sanderson, was heavily involved in the bald eagle uh, work here at the Hiawassee Refuge and just right upstream there was a hacking tower. If you're not familiar with the hacking uh, program, it's where... uh, Eagle chicks, for example, in this case, bald eagle chicks are put into a, a artificial nesting structure at about five to seven weeks of age. And they feed those chicks up and let them uh, raise there in that artificial structure. The hope is that they imprint on this area and come back year after year. And we want the, the, their, their chicks to imprint on this area and help reintroduce that bald eagle population into this area. And over the years that this was done from around 1989 through 1992, over 43 bald eagle chicks were reintroduced into this area from that hacking tower and so that's one of the reasons hopefully that you can uh, come see one uh, here uh, throughout the winter just about any time seems like I mean just show up today we'll have have migratory bald eagles that come through arrive around November and then some may even stay all year round so um, um, there's a chance I would say that some of the bald eagles we saw today are the offspring of some of those eagles great possibility yeah Yeah, I always think that's amazing we have a lot of nest in this area so uh, this is uh, one of the highest uh, bald eagle nest densities in in region 3 around here where the Hiawassee and the Tennessee River come together Real quick, back to the hacking tower. Describe one of those towers so people kind of know what, yeah, what you're talking you can, about. You can Google a picture, but it is uh, typically uh, uh, a lot of tel- uh, several telephone poles put together, about six telephone poles, about 40 feet off the ground, and then a big giant box put on top of those uh, telephone poles. It kind of looks like a blind, and it has netting around it. And those uh, those birds are on the front of the uh, nesting structure or the platform, and they can oversee the water, and there's a wall that separates them between the person that comes and puts in the food in every day. So they don't really imprint on the people they imprint on the area and so when those like i say when those chicks get around 12 to 13 weeks of age they can uh, be released from the front of that tower and they sell out over the water and imprint in this area on okay. chickamauga awesome. lake so obviously the hiawassee refuge in that area had the proper habitat for that absolutely you know? yeah they have a, a tremendous amount of a uh, 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 potential to feed in this area and in great habitat for them to to live and uh, raise their chicks here throughout the winter so the, the bald eagle's not the only eagle Chris works with. Mm-hmm. I know, again, I sit next to him. So. Absolutely. <laughs> but um, you, you also have worked on the Golden Eagle project. Absolutely. Project the Golden here. Eagle. The current Golden Eagle project is where we uh, um, feed Golden Eagles and put out camera traps and try to get camera the Golden Eagle on camera traps throughout the winter. And then if we get one coming in pretty regularly, we work with uh, um, the Golden Eagle uh, working group, and they come down and trap these Golden Eagles. And what they do is they... Uh, uh, attach a, uh, a solar-powered satellite transmitter to the back that uh, uh, downloads the data through cell phone towers, and we're currently tracking several bald e- uh, excuse me golden eagles that have migrated to Canada, and then currently they're here for the winter. And so luckily we trapped one two years ago over in the Sequatchie Valley. We've nicknamed that bird Sequatchie, and currently it's come migrating back south through Tennessee right now. That's awesome. And so that's a, that's a great project we're involved in is um, – how the Hiawassee plays into that over the years there was 37 golden eagles reintroduced through this hacking tower program in this area as well wow 
So if folks are in the area uh, this time of year, in, in the wintertime, uh, they have a better chance of seeing a golden eagle than they would in the middle of summer. They do. They don't typically nest here. They nest in northern Canada, but they do migrate here, through here for the for the winter. So, Chris, um, if, if folks see a bald eagle... Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to know? Uh, the, you know, they, the bald eagles have been delisted, you know, so they, there's getting to be quite a few of them. And we have over 200 successful nests throughout Tennessee right now. So we don't really want the phone calls for just a bald eagle sighting. But if we do, are, we are interested in if you find a new bald eagle nest. We kind of currently keep up with the bald eagle nest throughout the state. So that's mm-hmm. what would be interested in you giving one of the route, regional offices a call about a new bald eagle nest you may All right. find. All right. All right. You ready to move on? Thank yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Uh, State Wildlife Action Grants. Tell us about those and what, All right. what those are involved. Well, back around 2001, Congress uh, set up a program to funnel money into the states uh, through State Wildlife Grants Program. And so part of that is the, uh, the overarching program is, was, uh, is now uh, popularly known as SWAP or State Wildlife Action Plan. Okay. And each state uh, has to develop a State Wildlife Action Plan to uh, identify threats to wildlife, threats to the environment, uh, come up with action steps to, to improve habitat for these animals. And so um, we have several state wildlife grants uh, in Tennessee right now. Some of the ones we're working with, of course, is uh, white nose syndrome mm-hmm. spreading across the state. We work with hellbenders, our largest salamander. Uh, we're working with green salamanders, other salamander projects. We have a lot of state wildlife grants going on right now through in-house and through organizations and universities that we help coordinate throughout the state. One of the reasons I think that's important to bring up is, is folks often ask us where our funding comes from, and it's not always from the sale of hunting and fishing licenses. true. Uh, uh, especially for uh, non-game species. Absolutely. We get a, a tremendous amount of funding each year through uh, state wildlife grants and through Section 6 funding as well and Pittman-Robertson dollars as well. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. And plus, that's part of your job. Absolutely. It's <laughs> help coordinate these projects, and we do some of the monitoring and research our, ourselves in-house. So you mentioned a little bit about white-nose syndrome. Um, if you would, just touch base on just a few of those things, white-nose okay. syndromes in bats. Absolutely. White-nose syndrome was uh, uh, first found in, uh, in the U.S. around 2000, the winter of 2006-2007 in upstate New York, and it spread down the Appalachians and has been found in Tennessee in uh, 2010. It's still continuing to spread west across the western U.S., but in Tennessee, uh, if you don't know, Tennessee has more caves than any other state. We have over 10,000 caves, so we have a tremendous amount of habitat for, for bats, and so wow. we have a lot of bats here, So which makes it really detrimental for Tennessee is uh, white-nose syndrome can be found throughout over 50 counties in Tennessee now, and so a lot of our caves are, are, are white-nose syndrome positive, and right now we're currently doing uh, surveys in our caves for uh, federal T&E uh, bat species and documenting the spread of white-nose syndrome westward across the state and documenting new counties that have white-nose syndrome. And white-nose syndrome can be fatal in bats. It um, is. It can be fatal. It's a fungal disease that uh, affects the tissue, and uh, it causes the bats to come out of hibernation or torpor, if you will, a reduced metabolic rate, and they wake up in the wintertime more times a week or month than they normally would and they try to clean that fungus off their body Mm. and when they do they're burning their precious fat reserves that they had and just enough of to make it through a normal winter and so it really affects their uh, uh, metabolism and uh, up north it's a a higher mortality rate than here, but our numbers are still declining due to white-nose syndrome. Yeah, pretty drastically. Absolutely. Um, What are some of the other programs that you work on? Well, one of the um, current state wildlife grants we've got going on is uh, throughout 
most of the regions uh, throughout the state is a green salamander uh, grant. Where, uh, it's a multi-state project, and uh, we're involved, with, like I say, with North Carolina, Kentucky, other, other universities. Uh, and we're surveying green salamander habitat, green salamander known occurrences, and finding new green salamander occurrences. And we're trying to establish... Uh, the uh, the knowledge of that species and keep that species from being listed on the uh, threatened and endangered list. Wow! If you're not, if I'm not mistaken, I think uh, Barry put together a little green salamander video on our Absolutely. Facebook page. So go check Absolutely. that out. And, yeah, that's uh, pretty cool. And see that that was a pretty cool little uh, trek through the woods there and and trying to find those guys. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned white nose syndrome. Uh, there's also a disease, a fungal disease uh, in snakes. Absolutely. I, going to college, I never in my wildest dreams, I was just talking about that with one of the university professors this week at UT. Uh, there's so much wildlife disease work going on now. One of the new diseases to Tennessee that's been found up in the Northeast as well is snake fungal disease. Mm. Uh, and, um typically affects snakes but gets in other animals as well other herps as well or herps or herpetology reptiles and amphibians mm-hmm. uh, but it's a fungal disease it enters the uh, laboreal pits of the snake and affects the tissue uh, eventually uh, causes uh, a deformation in the lower jaw of snakes and they get to where they can't eat and so it causes those animals to come out of the winter time come out of their uh, torpor as well if you see a snake uh, typically sunning itself in January on a rock, it may be affected by snake fungal disease wow. as well. So yet another one. That another one. <laughs> another one, yeah. So they're busy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one thing I thought we might want to hit on too is injured and orphaned animals. And some of the times you probably get a lot of calls Absolutely. on Absolutely, I get a lot of calls. Sick and orphaned and injured and and. and they may not always be orphaned, but uh, tell and us you, how we deal with that. Your job is so varied. Absolutely. So this is just another part of your uh, job. It said diverse, right? Diverse. Yeah. Yes, uh, I get a lot of stuff. Exactly. <laughs> really diverse. Jack of all trades. <laughs> but uh, I get a lot of calls about sick and injured wildlife, especially birds. And so uh, the agency does not uh, rehab animals on our own. We do not have in-house veterinarians that do this. But we do. We are lucky enough to have individuals around the state dedicated compassionate people that have been through some type of veterinary training uh, with a veterinarian and uh, develop a facility typically at their house in which they care for sick and injured wildlife and so you can call our office to get one of these phone numbers or look it up on our website uh, go to the law enforcement tab and then go to the wildlife rehab tab and if you have a, a injured bird and you want to find one of these rehabbers close to you you can search by county and find one close to you and give them a call and uh, set up a time to deliver that animal and hopefully care for that animal and hopefully reintroduce that back mm-hmm. into the wild. That's fantastic. Um, so one thing that we wanted to touch base on um, with you is, you know, your job is diverse, <laughs> uh, is the partnerships that you have throughout the state um, and how important those partnerships are for you. Man, it's tremendous. Uh, we couldn't do it without our partners. Uh, we have very many partners. If I started listing, I'd, I'd leave some out. <laughs> But, uh, some of the few, obviously, that I work with is the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, here and along the Tennessee River. Of course, we work with Tennessee Valley Authority. And with, we mentioned the State Wildlife Bank Action Plan and SWIG grants. And the, the Nature Conservancy was instrumental in helping mm-hmm. us fulfill that, uh, reach those goals of the State Wildlife Action Plan uh, that we recently re-updated uh, I say re-updated. It's due every 10 years. We did it in 2005 and then recently in 2015. Okay. Yeah, so um, uh, some days I see Chris with a boat behind his, <laughs> his truck. Yeah. Um, sometimes I see him with a ladder, and I think he's going down in a cave somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what other uh, parts of your job would you want to mention that just um, would stand out for folks if they see you out and about? Oh. <laughs> 
Wow, there's no telling. It's varied, varied from day to day, whether it's uh, rehabbing the Osprey Tower, you know, going to check on the injured Northland wildlife, doing wildlife surveys, salamander surveys, uh, just teaching education, you know, school groups, education groups, teaching lab classes at universities. Uh, it's a little bit of everything. Oh. Well, thanks. I'm so glad you're able to be here with us today. You're we, welcome. We gave him short notice for this one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking next time we do the, the show in front of the Bat Cave. There you go. <laughs> we could come yeah. down and do it. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know we had the the most caves. Yeah, we have over 10,500 caves in Tennessee, and so we have a tremendous amount cool. of habitat. More than any state. You More said. than any other state, and yeah. The most diverse river running through middle Tennessee. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's, like, a lot of it's amazing what Tennessee's <laughs> got. If you, don't know, if you don't know, yeah, Tennessee is the most... Uh, biologically diverse in the state north america we have over uh, 1400 species in tennessee so yeah. it keeps us busy that's awesome Very busy. Well, we appreciate you being with us today absolutely yeah and uh, i you know one of the places chris has talked about is the hiawassee refuge here so it might be a good time to transition yeah. and bring on the technicians from the hiawassee refuge. two great guys coming on here mr kenny bransfield and jeff womack they do great work out here and they're going to slide in and and we're going to chat with them and, and find out what they do here at the Hiawassee Refuge. Yeah, so while they're getting set up, I'll just say that, you know, I'm, uh, I always say I have the best seat in the house. You know, I, I get to work with um, great coworkers like Chris and, and the diversity in his work. And then I get to um, talk with the technicians and, and visit them and see what's going on. And uh, both of these men send me photos uh kind of keep me updated on what's going on here at the Hiawassee refuge and i have to say their job is a technician technician's job is just as varied mm -hmm. as every other position in the state i know if you've watched our facebook you've seen them on a tractor or two driving you know and some of the pictures you see and I, I i like to see those i like to see the work that our guys are doing out here and yeah. and all the other wmas and refuges and all that kind of stuff so Let's get started with uh, just a quick background on you guys. What what brought y'all to the agency? How did y'all get started working for the agency? We'll start with Jeff. Well, I just always wanted to work for the agency and finally got the opportunity and jumped on board. Yeah, so you've been <laughs> a farmer and yeah, a mechanic I, and all I kinds of good for, stuff. I run a dairy farm for 17 years. I worked on it off and on for 17 years and uh, worked at the co-op and just do odd and end jobs and finally got the opportunity to come Took 20 years to get hard on, but I finally got here. <laughs> here. So, Jeff, you mentioned that uh, someone taught you mechanical skills and engine building skills um, in your background, too, that have come into play here at the refuge. Yeah, uh, and dairy business and everything, you do all the mechanic work and uh, painting crops and stuff, so it it's a win-win situation for both parties to stay in me because having the knowledge of being able to do it all, you know, being yeah. able to do it and, and everything, awesome. so. Uh, Kenny, tell us a little bit about your background. There's some similarities there, we yeah. know. Um, my, just like Jeff, I'd waited over 20 years to, mm. to get off an uh, opportunity to be employed by the state. Uh, when I was a kid, I just daydream about being a game warden. Mm -hmm. Wanted to be a game warden. Well, things change in life, and uh, I ended up going down a, uh, I was a welder. Mm. Uh, certified boilermaker and worked at that for years and did taxidermy and also went to work for the railroad and and uh, then finally got the opportunity to come here and and leaped at the chance uh, had some uh, farming background experience and some heavy operating uh, operating heavy equipment and that sort of thing so um, it's worked out very well working 
you know, here mm-hmm. because of the uh, diversity of the day for things that you do different from one day to the next. And Jeff, he uh, he's a master at uh, <laughs> mechanics and that sort of thing. So we play off one another. And uh, that skill set. Yeah. You know, it's it's one thing that um, I'm so proud of my coworkers and that their skill sets are so varied. But you need all those. Tell us a little bit, if you would, about all the different types of work that go into maintaining the refuge. Well, we've, we've as Kenny said, you know, it varies from day to day. You know, we may be tearing a beaver dam out this morning and, and may be putting in a tile somewhere for the afternoon, you know. So it, uh, there's just a lot of diversity that goes on. It's... Uh, uh, during the summer, spring and summertime, you know, we're fighting different crops. How uh, big's the refuge? Uh, the whole refuge is 2,500 uh, 2, acres. And about uh, how many uh, acres are in cropland that you manage? Well, here on, on this part of the refuge, we, we farm around three to 400 acres total. You know, it's just uh, between planting wheat and stuff in the fall. So, uh, What different crops go in, and, and is it for birds? What's it for? We plant the corn and and stuff. It's uh, it's for all the water waterfowl. Mainly the corn is, but we got milo and millet. We plant it and, and uh, we plant wheat and stuff. And all in the fall of the year for the for the deers and stuff. Which our corn seems like the deers have been getting a lot of it. Sunflowers so. <laughs> <laughs> too. Yeah. Do you yeah. find that the sandhills like the corn or the millet or what are the what's their favorite? Well, a few years ago when we started planting the sunflowers, we found out that they love sunflowers oh, wow. and everything. So, so, so the refuge is known, we didn't mention it, but the refuge is known for sandhill cranes, yep. especially uh, in the winter months, overwintering months. Um, yeah. And it can be filled with thousands of cranes. Yes. Yeah. And right now, it's the time of the year for them. You know, we've, uh, our numbers go up and down from day to day. You know, it's it's hard to predict what's going to be here from, in, you know, from day to day. But yeah. So, um, so there is an area of the refuge that's open to the general public. Uh, tell us about that area and what folks can expect if they come to the refuge for a visit. It's the viewing area. It's right behind us. We can't hardly see it right here. But there's a gazebo here, and there's a viewing area. And they can expect to see a wide uh, array of different birds and wildlife. You may stand right here and look out and see... Uh, Three or four hundred ducks, some sandhill cranes, might be a, a big white-tailed buck come through, <laughs> maybe some turkeys. Um, I think I've seen the turkeys this morning when I got here. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> There's really no telling what you will see here from just this one point. And that viewing area is open year-round. That's right. Yeah, and it's a, it's a really nice little area. You can't leave that area. Um, but but it is open to the public, which uh, sometimes our areas are not. But I think that's a special feature of the High Well, Refuge. that's the, that's the thing that you know, November the fifteenth through March the first, it is closed and everything. The refuge, as far as getting on the refuge itself, but you can come to the the observation uh, platform and and look. But then after March the first, you can get out and walk on the refuge. Um, we do allow that. So. Okay, cool. And then I, I get to join them at different times of the year. Tell us a little bit about some of the different hunts that do take place here. So I, I specifically was thinking of the dove hunt for kids. It's well, we have the uh, adult dove hunt and everything. We have it every year. Then we have a, a juvenile dove hunt. Uh, then we have some uh, a juvenile deer hunt. And then we have uh, an open hunt for bow and arrow. 
and then a couple muzzleload hunts and, and uh, drought hunts on them. And hopefully that helps with some of that deer depredation that you get on those <laughs> We also have out. rabbit season also. We have about, what is that, about 15-day window yeah. where they can rabbit and we started that a couple of years ago yeah. also oh, has that been successful yes oh well good yeah. all that information is in our in our guide yes. uh, tmwildlife.org if you don't have a hard copy you can get that on our website and all those dates and everything should be in there so y'all can people who are, are watching might want to come out here and enjoy some of those opportunities they can be found there but um there's also the there's a lot of trapping goes on out here right uh, the, at least the the Trappers in this area use it for training and that kind of thing. They, they have do. Classes they have a stuff. Uh, training period here that I think is usually around March that they'll set up and have a two or three day event here. Uh, it gives uh, new trappers uh, an avenue to where they can learn more about trapping. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that we do need is we need more trappers. It's kind of a lost art. It is. You know, people uh, people don't know a whole lot about that these days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you could find more information on that too on our website the, the trapper ed and that kind of stuff going on but i know those guys here uh at the hiawassee or it's the is it chattanooga chapter or it's a tennessee or tennessee fur, Har 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 harvester association so yeah. they they do their little training out here and that's yeah. a great group to to learn more about so um, uh, i know both of you have been with the agency for a different number of years but what has surprised you what have you learned about the agency um kenny we'll start with you since you started what's surprised you <laughs> Well, it's a very small, I, I just didn't understand how small uh, the opportunity is to become a, an, uh, an employee with this agency because it's not as, uh, you know, when I think about the TWRA, I think about how big it is in your life, especially if you're a hunter and a fisherman. But, uh, you know, I waited a long time to get the opportunity to come to work here, and, and it's just a really family oriented tight group and people just don't leave those kind of positions and so i was really amazed to see uh, how everybody kind of works with the you know between waterfowl and and wildlife and then you have the fisheries departments and and you have the law enforcement but they're all intertwined and they know each other and they and do. how they work you know yeah work together so kenny came up and joined us at the fall creek falls hunt um, okay yeah for veterans when um or for hero hunts mm -hmm. um inc that helps us with that and kenny came up and guided during that time and uh jeff and i have met on goose roundups <laughs> so so uh their background is highly varied you heard um welding and mm -hmm. electrical work and mechanical work and so when people ask us about uh what they can do to become uh, a TWR employee. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Keep gaining those skill sets and be diligent about yep. applying and volunteering with us. Get to be friends with the TWRA guys. That helps you some too. So. Yeah. Yeah, get, I think they're pretty friendly. Get to know your <laughs> get to know your local wildlife officer. Get to know your, your WMA managers and, and uh, chat with them, and they love to help you out. You know, Tech, get to know your technicians. In That's here. true. <laughs> they're wonderful, yeah, huh? They are. <laughs> I appreciate uh, everything y'all do for the Hiawassee and, and uh, all the technicians around the state. They do a great job. And uh, Jeff and I worked together at the co-op there for a little while. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, known Jeff for a little while, so it's uh, great to see you again, Jeff. And, Good to see uh, you. Uh, we appreciate y'all being on the show. Anything you want to add before we, before we close today? Uh, Everybody to get out and enjoy hunting and fishing in the state of Tennessee. All right. There you heard it. You heard it here. Get out and enjoy the outdoors. Uh, remember, tnwildlife.org is a great place to stay connected and uh, always keep following us on social media. So 
Mimi, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you. We'll see y'all next time. Thanks for tuning in. Stay connected with TWRA by visiting our website at tnwildlife.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, it's all about Tennessee wildlife. It's what we do. Tennessee Wildcast will be on the air again next week. We'll see you then. Thank you.